this is the car dealer podcast driven by car gurus. You want the best return from your advertising budget and car gurus piston heads are focused on the same goal. With car gurus piston heads you have access to millions of monthly shoppers across both sites who can turbocharge your digital forecourt. Connect with in-market high quality buyers today. For more information, visit dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and schedule a demo with their team. For a limited time only, get 10% reduction off your new subscription when you tell them that we sent you. That's dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk. Welcome back to the Car Dealer Podcast. If you've never listened before, we do our roundup of the week's news a little differently. We've made it into a competition to choose the best stories of the week, and we usually ask one industry guest to choose the winner. Joining me today is Car Dealer Editor-in-Chief James Baggett, and we have a whole panel of guests to help us decide fairly who is going to win the final competition of the year. Um, I've got to say I'm not feeling particularly positive about this with a whole panel. I think I usually slide in... Um, just with like the pity vote so oh, don't <laughs> welcome to our guest judges will blackshaw owner of blackshaws rachel prasher md of haymarket automotive and jim holder editorial director of haymarket automotive nice to have you all here welcome thank you for having us thank you <laughs> you all sound very cheery for a friday morning it's my last friday that's why oh. i'm breaking for christmas i'm in very good spirit <laughs> lovely um, we've got will to blame haven't we for having three judges today. yes i was just going to say that will had this wonderful idea on linkedin and james jumped on it and now we've got three three panelists but it's going to make it fair it will. Uh, we, don't want any, we don't want any repeats of what's been going on in the formula one so it had to be a panel of three didn't it we couldn't have <laughs> one person deciding the rules and changing the rules when it was so close on points for the final round so i, I think it's the right thing who's <laughs> hard <laughs> So who gets the sort of, you know, judge's veto? Well, we should be able to... It's got to be a majority, it's got to be a majority isn't it? Yeah. Right. Majority yeah. decision. So <laughs> after how many rounds? So after uh, 14 weeks, it's 7 all, is it? This, yeah, this is week 15. Oh, exciting. <laughs> so uh, I'll quickly explain how the quiz works and then we'll get straight into it, I think. Um, so James and I have both chosen five stories that have appeared on Car Dealer this week, which we think are the best. We're going to take it in turns to talk about the news we've chosen. And then at the end, our panellists will vote on who had the best stories and the person with the most votes will win. If you want to play along, then tweet at Car Dealer Mag with the stories you think should have been included. And if you're listening on Spotify, don't forget to swipe up and vote for who you think had the best stories at the end too. James did win last week, which does mean he gets to go first. Excellent news. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I'm not going to play to my audience too much this week, but yes, I will with my first story, uh, which is uh, an exclusive, thanks to the uh, Watcar team, about buyers trusting franchise car dealers more than any other. Um, this is a survey that um, we cooked up a little while ago, and um, Jim and his team ran on the Watcar website for quite some time. Um, so we got 5,000 consumers to respond to this, which is an amazing um, number of people. Um, and the results of it were absolutely fascinating. 63% of the respondents said that they thought franchise car dealers were the most trustworthy. 
um, and just 5% said they trusted the online used car disruptors um, the most. So it's a, a ringing endorsement here for franchise car dealers. Um, the other question that was asked as, um, as part of this was, what were their main concerns customers had when visiting dealerships? And this gave us some really interesting results too. They, 22% said they thought um, car dealers were too focused on sales. Funny that. Um, number two was they don't give a fair part exchange, exchange price with 19%. Um, and number three was they were worried that uh, dealers wouldn't give them the best price with nearly uh, nearly 19% to 18.9%. So just a really interesting survey, this one, um, especially the fact that these franchise dealers came out on top. Someone, Jim, and I know I saw you respond to it on online, one of the um, one of the used car specialist he um Richard Hollis, who used to be at Jardine, um, said you could look at this slightly differently. You could you could think that after 18 months, the fact that these online online dealers have managed to get trust from five percent of those consumers is actually quite quite an interesting thing. It's quite quite something to be proud of. And I thought that was an interesting way of looking at it, wasn't it? I mean, which did you I know that we sort of focused on the franchise car dealer angle on this, which I think is is is, is the right thing to do. But when you mentioned that, I did think, oh that is an interesting take. What, what did that change the way that you looked at the story? Yeah, I thought it was very interesting. Uh I think perhaps you know, my comeback was, you know, how many tens or even hundreds of millions have they spent to achieve uh, that 5% trust? And, and, you know, can they sustain that kind of spend? Uh, but, you know, full respect to them, you're, you're absolutely right. And he's absolutely right to highlight it. You know, we can't stick our head in the ground uh, and absolutely wouldn't want to knock what they've achieved uh, because it has changed uh, the industry uh, and it has probably changed the course for everybody. Uh, to some degree. So absolutely right to, to respect what they have achieved and, and keep an eye on what they can achieve. But whether you know the, the, the growth rate is sustainable uh, and the spending to achieve that is sustainable uh, is perhaps a moot point. It was nice to see... Um, I, I <laughs> and um, excellent, we've got another participant to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> not the first time that's happened. <laughs> no, not the first time. Uh, it was nice to see that the um, that when when we asked some dealers about it, Peter Smythe from Swansway Garages said that actually it's some a lot of these dealers are doing this omni-channel approach to retailing now, aren't they? They're often in the online sales that these these new disruptors are doing. Plus, they've got the physical dealerships, which means that they are in a better position going forward. Uh, Will, I mean, I know that you saw this this survey too. I mean, what what did yeah. you think when you saw the results? Well, actually, I, I must say I was quite pleased to see to see it. Um, obviously, being a franchise dealer myself, a small family business, um, you just kind of try to compete online more than ever than we used to. And obviously, trust is such an important element of the online buyer experience. Um, so the fact that having a, a franchise badge above the door uh, adds to that element, gives us confidence that we've sort of got our business sort of structured, ready for the next what, 10, 15 years, hopefully. Uh, obviously, we're trying to all adapt to electric cars selling as well, um, but obviously used cars from a petrol and obviously diesel for a while will continue to be a big mix of the of the used business. So it gave me confidence, James, um, for me personally. Um, I was a little bit surprised that the, the consumers still don't sort of feel they're getting the best price, despite arguably we're using very, arguably, should I say, we are using the same software as that, um, consumers are using to value their cars, you know, it all links to, to the valuation software providers. Um, so I was pleased to read that, to be honest. Um, but also, and I think, you know, 
I feel a little bit sorry for some of the independents being viewed that way because you know we all know the likes of Umesh Smarty, Jim Reed, to name a few, who do an exceptional job as independents. And uh, you know, when people ask me for specific cause, they're, they're the two names that spring to my mind, and I do send people to look at their websites for for that type of vehicle because. I do trust them as well. So I feel a little bit sorry for them guys, but obviously it, it helps us out, shall I say. They were, they were still in there, weren't they? Second, 22%. Um, they were second uh, most trusted. Um, Rachel, when you saw the results of this survey, what, what, what did you think? Was it, was it obvious to you that franchise car dealers were going to be the most trusted or t- were the results surprising? No, not, not at all. Um, you know, and, and, and you know, to echo Jim's points, you know, clearly the kind of new disruptors have made massive inroads which you would expect because those brands are everywhere i mean it's just mind-blowing isn't it the amount of money that's being uh spent so no i'm but i'm not surprised so i'm not surprised to see them on the list but i would still absolutely fully expect there to be a huge level of trust i mean actually when you we we talk about investment it's easy to get seduced by the idea of these huge marketing budgets behind kazoo and cinch and and perhaps you know more recently carzan as well but actually, if you add up in aggregate the, the marketing brand value of those big visible dealerships, the amount of money that has been spent on, I mean, particularly some of the, the prestige brands, you know, what they will have spent on on uh, dealership experience, that's enormous, it, you know, absolutely enormous. It, you know, it dwarfs anything that any disruptor could have hoped to spend. So, no, I'm not, not surprised to see that at all. Um, and then when they talk, you know, when we talk about some of the sort of negative things that came through, I'm always, I think it's very easy to put quite lazy responses down like that. So I think one, one of the, um, the negatives was around not trusting the mileage, that the mileage might have been adjusted on the cars. I mean, this yeah. just feels like something from the dark ages, mm-hmm. really. Um, you know, consumers are enormously protected from that kind of activity. So, you know, I'd be quite interested to and we will obviously ongoing uh, keep running that survey just to try and tease out a little bit of better understanding around what is driving some of those still quite lazy um, misconceptions of, of the car industry because I think that is really important because that is exactly what disruptive brands will seek to take advantage of. Will, if you were going to run a survey asking consumers of something, what, what would you want to know as a franchise dealer? It's a, it's a great question, James. Um, I think the questions asked were pretty spot on, to be honest, uh, in that survey. Um, I'm like, like, ultimately, you know, um, who do you trust the most? Because um, I think trust is just such a big, big word uh, stroke question. Um, are you getting a fair deal, I guess, is the other important one. Like People are transacting with us all over the country now, so they must feel the deals are okay. Um, so really, it's the trust is the big one, James, and I think, obviously, that's been asked. Um, and am I getting a good deal and a fair price for the part exchange? Um, I don't think there's anything else to ask personally. I, I, I would be really interested in knowing where the journey began for some car buyers. You know, I'd really be interested to know where, was it someone saying, oh, you should look at that Audi Q4 e-tron or was it they saw it on TV or was it they saw a review somewhere? I'd be interested to know where that journey started that they eventually purchased the car because I don't know whether anybody actually really knows that. We do guess that we, a lot of people say it all starts online, but is it an endorsement from a friend first or have they seen an advert? Or So maybe that's one for the future, Jim. Yeah, we can do another one anytime you want. Uh, obviously, we love tracking our audience attitudes and following the market. Sorry for the adverts. Uh, so give us a shout, definitely. Good. Right, I'll move on, Rebecca. Sorry to hijack that one. 
No, don't worry. I had that one as well. Um, but my top one of the week was the fact that the electric car grant was slashed again out yes. of the blue. Um, and that we saw it drop from £2,500 to £1,500. And there's been a huge number of cars that are now excluded as they've dropped the value from £35,000 to £32,000. So I'd love to ask all of you what you thought. Were you completely shocked when this happened? Did you sort of think it might do? Can I just can I just say a piece on this quickly? Because I, yeah. what I thought was amazing about this story is the way that it came out. Because I don't know about you, Jim. I mean, I, you're, you're 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 pretty on it when it comes to an understatement. Pretty on it when it comes to knowing what's going on in the industry. But this one came out of nowhere, didn't it? I and mean, it, it appeared on Fleet News first, which I think was as a result. I think Rebecca told me this as a result of them being told by by dealers or people who had ordered these cars who had been told that the grant had been cut. Talk about putting out bad news on, 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 a, on a day when there's lots of other bad news going on. I mean, this was a day when Omicron was, was at its height, wasn't it? 80,000 odd cases. They knew it wasn't going to get much coverage and it just slipped out in the morning. When we went to cover it, it wasn't even mentioned on the government website. I mean, did, were you surprised when this came out? Or just shocked as we were, Jim? Yeah, look, this has happened a few times now, uh, and and I guess the nature of the beast is that if they announced it and said there was a week to go, you know, to be a flurry of orders and the pot of cash might disappear that bit quicker. Uh, so they do have previous on this, but what really stood out in in this time uh, time was exactly what you say. You know, their own website had the wrong information on. Uh, they really hadn't joined up anything uh, in regards to making the announcement, which did just smack of a. Let's get it out there as quickly as we can while we can. Uh, and of course, that in turn, you know, breeds distrust and, and displeasure, which cannot do anybody any good uh, on this sort of thing. Will, you're, a, you're selling lots of electric cars at the moment. I mean, what did your customers say? I mean, did you have to start ringing people up and go, sorry? Look, luckily, the ones that, um, that we did have orders for were already on the, on the portal, should we call it. So luckily, we haven't got anyone dissatisfied. Um, but in terms of the actual story, yeah, you, you start reading the, the communication we received and you're expecting as you go down the paragraphs to say as of the end of the 31st of March, ready for when sort of the, the change of the, the tax rules and stuff like that. To then read as of now, it was a little bit like, I need, have I misread this? Is this spam? Um, but I heard as well that the SMMT had, and some other parties had been having a meeting on the Monday of this week and it hadn't even been mentioned at that point. So I think... Like it was always going to happen at some point. Um, it's just interesting with the likes of the MG range where you've got a, an SE model that's under under the threshold, uh, the trophy model that's just over the threshold, and now it makes quite a, a financial jump between the two specs. Um, but we went through this years back with the Mitsubishi Outlander PHEV where it used to be, from memory, £5,000 at that point, and it kept dropping and dropping, and, and we just adapt to it. But electric cars, again, without starting a separate story is... It seems a bad timing because it was great gaining great momentum. Um, it's just almost 20% of November's uh, registrations for electric cars, which granted with the way the stock situation is, it's maybe manipulated a little bit, but it's just like another negative story to play on now for electric cars when we're trying to turn this, to, uh, get the momentum going even further. So it's a shame, but it was always going to happen. And I think the motor trade proves time and time again, we just adapt to whatever we're throwing. I mean, so I, I, I'm starting to wonder now how much of an incentive it is with buyers to, to actually go EV. I mean, I don't actually, I think they're either wanting EV or they don't want an EV now. I don't think that two and a half grand makes a difference. I mean, over everybody's buying these cars on PCP. 
does it, it it's really what are we talking about a few extra quid a month when it comes to putting that putting that back into a PCP deal mm, and why I think it's interesting this time around is obviously last time we saw lots of new releases coming out that manufacturers were going to drop their prices in, in accordance and there's not been well I've not seen any of that this time I don't oh, know if anyone has but it's just so but I think the fact that it's 1,500 pounds difference is probably not going to push a lot of people into making a decision I wouldn't be surprised that these prices of these most of these cars are actually going to go up I mean, Jim, we ran a story recently about the Ford prices all going up, and I know lots of other manufacturers doing the same. Have you got an inkling that this is going to happen across the board? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, we followed up on your story, and we've certainly spoken to a lot of the the MDs of the UK car companies. And, you know, there is one inevitability about 2022, I'm afraid, and that's that life is going to get more expensive, uh, cars included. Uh, So I think you're absolutely right. I think prices will go up. I think the pity of this announcement is that it it biases the incentives for electric uh, vehicles so heavily in favour of uh, sort of fleet company buyers, and that's where the the sort of disparity moves. And and you're you're right. I'm sure you're right. From a private perspective, it probably won't stop or uh, someone buying one necessarily, or not won't stop many people buying them. But I think if it puts so much emphasis into that company car buyer, you know, you kind of limit the potential of what you can achieve. Uh, and and that's a shame at a time when you really should be trying to push as hard as possible. It kind of sends out, you know, at best a mixed message and probably even worse than that. Uh, and you have to win the private buyer over really to make this transition. And, and you know, we're down to eight years to go now, really to, to win the hearts and minds. Yeah. We'll be right back. The Car Dealer podcast is driven by CarGurus. You want the best return from your advertising budgets and CarGurus Piston Heads are focused on the same goal. With them, you have access to millions of monthly shoppers across both sites who can turbocharge your digital forecourt. Connect with in-market, high-quality buyers today. For more information, visit dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and schedule a demo with their team. For a limited time only, you can get 10% reduction on your new subscription when you tell them that we sent you. That's dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk. Now, let's get back to the quiz. Right, shall I move on to my one? Yes. My, okay, my next, I've got quite a few good ones this week. We had, you know, All right. Pretty, pretty good week of news, isn't it? Pretty good week of news. Uh, but I'm going to go with uh, Marshall uh, and the Constellation uh, Automotive Group, which is the on-running saga um, of the... Uh, Constellation, the BCA and Cinch owner, uh, taking uh, Marshall Motor Group private. They published documents on their website late on Tuesday, I'm going to say. I can't remember. I wrote it early one morning um, about what their plans were for um, taking this taking this group private and what they what they wanted to do once they got the deal over the line. Um, they've offered to pay £325 million for this listed dealer group. Uh, after buying the majority of the shares from the Marshall family, they had 64%, I think, of the shares. So as soon as they agreed to sell that was pretty much the deal was done um documents released today uh, released this week um were um details about what they were going to do next why they were interested in the group um they've also they've mentioned that they're going to do some organizational um changes potentially i mean there is going to be or have to be some efficiencies isn't there between putting those two businesses together but i think what they uh, what will please a lot of the um a lot of the master employees is actually they the reason they were attracted to this business is because of what they've done and they've been incredibly incredibly successful i wrote my column for the magazine 
about this deal, um, which the, ma the magazine's out today, actually, for people who want to go and have a look at it. Um, and I just I dove a little bit deeper into this deal and just looked at some of the numbers. And if you think they've paid 325 million pounds for Marshalls, right? Um, they're currently, uh, Marshall do all of their remarketing via Mannheim. So that's immediately going to go to BCA, isn't it? Um, that's probably worth a couple of million quid. Um, last in, in the last year uh, of our Cardio Top 100, um, Marshall's made EBITDA of about 45 million. If you put that up to 55, 60 million for, for this year, uh, add, in the, add in the 2 million quid plus some efficiencies, they're probably going to easily earn back 75 million pounds a year uh, from that deal. It means that they could pay this off in four years, plus have all of the property that Marshall's owns pretty good business sense that isn't it i mean that i mean that really does start to stack up they're going to get their money back very very quickly plus uh, have a, an amazing business off the back of it i don't actually think this is about cinch um wanting to rebrand all of these the, these dealers i don't think the manufacturers would be up for that uh, i think they would really kick up a stink about it i think this is purely um a, a play on on that used car stock ending up into their auction houses i think if they if they get some efficiencies via cinch as well as a as a, a, a as a result then that's going to be an additional bonus so um the, i mean this deal's done uh it as i've said many times on the podcast it can be very sad to see marshall's disappear from the stock market as a result um but the the, the other point in my in my column was what happens to dash um i mean he is uh, an amazing leader of that business. He is an absolute legend in this industry. We handed over the uh, Outstanding Achievement Award to him at the Used Car Awards. And actually, for someone who had just been handed an award and had the deal been done that morning, he didn't look particularly happy about it. Um, and I just hope that they have a glittering future for him ahead. I'd like to see him continue in this industry, doing something something even better, bigger and better um, as, as part of that group. And um, you know, I wish I wish Dash all the best when it comes to that. So, yeah, a very very interesting story. Um, and yeah, it's it took me took me and I think by the, in the industry by surprise. I mean, Will, let me turn to you on that one. I mean, were you shocked at this deal? I was because um, obviously I know you've just read, done this sort of story again, but obviously when it came out and as you rightly say, I believe it was on Mon it was Monday. Was it the Monday, the 29th of November from memory? Yes, it was. Yeah, it was. I was at. Um, but yeah, for me, and you know, I've said this many a times, James, over the years, I, I look at the, the people in the industry and when you say Marshall, instantly your mindset goes to, to Dash. Um, yeah. And I remember the comments, somebody mentioned um, that, and I, I hope this isn't taken out of context, but for Dash, it might not be finished business for them. Uh, and straight away, I'm thinking, uh, wherever this ends up, somebody's going to be, knocking on the door, Dash can work for us, or hopefully can stay within the business. But as you say, the, and I can never pronounce it right, the Constellation Group, you know, they've got, as you say, BCA, we buy any car. Um, these big groups are just getting ginormous more and more. And I think it sort of favours us smaller little franchise rural dealerships even more where, you know, the big boys can go off and be massive and we can just concentrate on little rural areas is what I'm hoping. So as, as, as much as it's... Uh, seems a shame for such a big group to be going down that route in that respect. I think it benefits the likes of our family businesses a little bit. Um, but Marshall's just done an incredible job over the years. And as you rightly say, you look at the figures and they just seem to grow and grow and grow. And you think, where does it end? And 
as you rightly say in your your piece just there, James, 325 million. You look at some of the dealerships being built as GLR sites, probably 20 million pound bills. Yeah. Now, I thought it looked a good good value to be honest, yeah. but uh, I was only 324.9 million short of being able to buy it myself. I can see Rachel nodding along. I'd love to know what you think about this deal. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think James's point is spot on, actually, and I think it comes back to this frustration that we hear in the industry quite a lot around the market capitalisation of huge car dealer groups versus the kind of valuations that have been placed on some of those disruptor brands. Now, you can't compare, you know, they're apples and, and pears, aren't they? You're playing to a totally different set of rules, um, and so it's very, very difficult to compete, but I think, um, yeah, it represents astonishingly good value. I mean, you're right, Mannheim thing is the most obvious switch out straight away. Um, whether or not they're looking at rebranding, God, I mean, there's no point in even speculating, is there? But it is that used car stock. You know, what is gonna, what is the Achilles heel of those disruptor brands and its stock? Um, so, you know, since you've always had the advantage there because of, of uh, you know, their ownership already, um, and this just gives them an even bigger play. Uh, but it's, you know, it's it's astonishing, isn't it? When you break it down, really, how much can be bought for that amount of, of money? Um, mm. And I believe it will be the last of these deals that are struck that are struck as a result. And it's the final piece of the jigsaw, isn't it, for Constellation Automotive Group? They've got, we, we buy any car, they've got consumers selling their cars to the trade, which also funds, um, fuels their, their auction lanes. The auction lanes at BCA sell their trade cars to the trade. They're selling their used cars to consumers, and now they're selling new cars to consumers. And it's just completed that circle, isn't it? I mean, it's a, you can see why they wanted it. And, and I think I would not be surprised uh, if there's another one to fall soon. I really yeah. wouldn't. Um, I think there's some others out there that are absolutely ripe for it. Um, Lookers, Pendragon, um, dare I say virtue. I mean, I think they're all, you know, when you look at their market capitalizations, there are, they're in, they're in dangerous positions when there's these people out there with such huge amounts of cash. Um, yeah, I mean, shocking story, but what, what a cracker. Um, Becca, yours, your go. Um, I'm going to go with the fact that Plan B has failed to slow the used car markets. Um, this was the news from Auto Trader um, this week. They've actually done two stories about this, which really confused me. But so at the beginning of the week, we had, or not even at the beginning of the week, two days ago, we had the fact that um, used car prices are up 28% last week compared to the same year last year. And it's also reported today that um, its website traffic is up 20% compared to the same week in 2019. Um, on top of that, it's the 84th consecutive month of price rises, which it's just all a little bit insane but mm. I mean we're back into this kind of are we in lockdown are we going into lockdown um, so it's kind of interesting to see that used car prices are still holding up like I mean for years we must have talked about how as soon as there's a little bit of uncertainty everyone's like oh, well, I don't want to buy a car but now there's a bit of uncertainty and everyone wants to go out and buy a car still yeah so are you, well what are you going to say James no, I just I, I I'm I'm still shocked at it. I mean, I know it's been going on since since April, but I still find it amazing that these prices are going up and they continue to do so. I mean, I know Cap HBI has told us that there has been a little bit of softening in the market, mm. um, and, and as as we head towards Christmas, and I'm and I'm sure that that will continue to be the case. We're going to catch up with Darren Martin next week for a car deal live just before Christmas, where he'll tell you how tell us how December's gone, um, but. I, I think it's going to, as soon as we get into the new year, I'm sure it's going to rock it up again. 
Mm. What are you guys seeing on Watcar? Yeah. Well, I... You go, Jim. Sorry. <laughs> I think we're into a, yeah, we're in a long-term cycle here. I think uh, there's going to be a shortage of supply for probably a good few years. Uh, and this is just going to keep feeding the used car market. That You know, demand will be strong, supply will be low. Uh, I think, you know, we're talking about a, probably a four-year cycle here before this corrects itself, even if things, you know, assuming the, 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 the pandemic situation sorts itself out. So, uh, you know, we talk, you're talking before about undervaluations of these companies. I think they are sitting pretty for a good few years yet. Uh, and yes, there may be minor uh, moves of the roller coaster, but I think the market will stay strong for a long time. And that, that is a result of the uh, shortage of supply because the new car market isn't moving. So good times. Yeah. When you've got supply coupled with insane demand, also as a result of the pandemic, I think, because, you know, what people's mindsets has really shifted, hasn't it? You've got a nervousness of it still around public transport to a degree, but also this kind of locking down mentality of, I want, you know, I can't control much, but I definitely want to know that I've got something sitting outside my house that, I could, that's going to get me comfortably from A to B, that is an extension of my home environment in this sort of lockdown frame of mind. Um, and I do still think that's playing out in consumer mindset and behaviour. So you've got this sort of a natural increase as a result of that in demand. And as Jim said, coupled with terrible supply, it's just the perfect storm, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I'm going to move on to my next story. Mm -hmm. uh, I am going to go with... Um, Land Rover making the most unreliable cars. Shock, <laughs> Shock news. Uh, Shock news. Uh, they had, uh, this is a survey, once again, from the lovely people at Watcar, uh, who quizzed this time 16,000 car owners to uh, create a reliability index. Um, Land Rover uh, were not best pleased with the results, I'm sure. Uh, their Discovery Sport was the least reliable SUV. Range Rover Evoque, the most likely family SUV to have faults, and the Land Rover Discovery was bottom in the luxury SUV class. Um, Citroen, Peugeot and Renault uh, filled the next few spaces behind behind Land Rover. Um, I picked this story because it was um, understandably the most popular one on our website. Um, in, uh, I think people like to know which cars are the most reliable and the most unreliable. Um, so to answer their other question, at the top of the uh, survey was Suzuki, Lexus and Toyota. Shock horror, Japanese brands. Has this gone crazy on your website too, Jim? Yeah, it always does amazingly well for us. Uh, you know, you know, there's this this sort of intuition now that nobody makes an unreliable car, but sadly doesn't bear out. Uh, and we we run this survey uh, for the course of almost a full year, uh, every year, to try and get as robust data as we can. But I think, unfortunately, you know, the, the same culprits tend to be at the top and bottom of this chart. Um, and I think everyone wants to know. It's the one reassurance you're spending a huge amount of money is it going to let me down? Uh, and, you know, I think a succession of uh, Jaguar Land Rover's leadership has vowed to fix it. The evidence, unfortunately, still isn't there that they've achieved it, certainly uh, on some very particular models. So the fight goes on for them, I'm afraid, and, and we will continue to be there surveying it. But yes, a hugely popular story and still hugely popular among car buyers to find out which are the most reliable cars. And yeah, well done for publishing that. I think it's a brilliant story. I love those sorts of surveys. And sometimes these people don't like to be given the bad news, but it needs to be told. So yeah, thank you for sharing with us. Uh, shall right. I do my one? Because it's yeah, go for it. Um, 
I mean, it's sort of a similar vein. It's about cars. Uh, this is the news this week. Haggerty, <laughs> <laughs> I know, shock. Um, Haggerty published its uh, list of the 10 classics poised to rise in value, um, yes. which I don't think is that shocking as we've just talked about how much used cars are going up. Uh, but it's quite an interesting read and worth checking out on, um, on the websites um, with the Ferrari 458 Italia um, up there as one of those cars poised to, um, to rise in value. Um, but yeah, I don't know what you thought of the list. Obviously, I was very attracted to the point that um, the Mark One Porsche Boxster has made the list. As a oh, great yeah. investment. <laughs> great investment. Um, it, it, does anybody want to buy one? Because yeah. not getting that much. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I thought it was a good list. I thought, yeah, I really liked it. Very annoyed that the 458 was at the top. Um, but uh, yeah, interesting to see lots of stuff on there. And um, I'll probably, uh, some of them were a little bit strange, but mm. um, I think like the Renault 4, um, but I agree with the Cleo Williams. I think it was a great yeah. car. Um, so yeah, no, an interesting list. Mm. That right, was my last do, one. That was your last one. Right, I'm, just gonna do, I'm, I'm conscious that we're running out of time, but I will yeah. do my, let me just do my last one, which is Christmas parties. Can car dealers have oh, Christmas yeah. parties? I just think this is very, very topical at the moment, isn't it? Because Christmas is just around the corner, funnily enough. Um, and lots of people are questioning um, what to do. We actually had our staff party last night. Um, and probably a third of people didn't come because they didn't feel comfortable. I said, basically said to people, if you're happy to come, come. If you're not happy, don't come. No hard feelings whatsoever. Um, but we went, um, we went out to, to, a, um, to a bar last night, had some, had some food. And I asked the people there, I mean, how's it, how's it been for you? They had 250 people booked in last night and only 80 people turned up. Um, and they said it's the same for the next night. So, I mean, this sort of lockdown via stealth is, is a very real thing. I mean, the industry out there, hospitality industry, is definitely, definitely struggling. I mean, Jim, what, what do you think on this take on this? I mean, are you, are you having your, your, your Christmas party? Are you having a Christmas get together? Uh, look, you're talking to the, the greatest, uh, most insular, uh, introverted person you'll, you'll ever meet. So for me, this is like manna from heaven. I'm quite happy to shut the front door and uh, never speak to anyone again. But uh, yes, we will have a Christmas gathering, a small one, family one. Um, uh, from a company perspective, um, you know, other decisions were taken and, and with, with everyone's well-being in mind. Uh you know, it's good to get the advice out there, isn't it? And it's good for people to, I think, ultimately to be able to make their own decisions. Um, you know, as a complete tangent, uh, what I really enjoyed was, uh, you know, the, the, the legal basis that the story was written on and the fact that, you know, through the course of the year, we have got to get uh, got to get to know uh, Joel and that, that team through the Ben Charity Walk. So if you'll excuse the tangent, uh, uh, you know, I love reading all the stuff they do. I like the fact they're so straight talking. I like the fact they're willing to give good advice and put it out there in the public. So great for you to be doing that. Yeah, so this basically was based on the story that um, Nona, who works for Logistics, saying you can have a Christmas party, no problems, pretty much. Um, but it's up to individual businesses to, to, to make those decisions. Will, you, what, what's your take on this? Are you having a, having a car dealer Christmas party? Um, a few points on this. Most importantly, I hope the listeners that are, are listening to this are, are safe and well and safe for their family. Uh, obviously, you can see the way it was kind of going uh, with with the news. Um, so we decided to cancel ours, if I'm honest, but we, we're rescheduling for late January is what we were aiming for. Just also, there was a quite a few people had already pre-booked various events with 
their partners and family events and stuff. Um, so it wasn't, it was just a mix uh, that made it the right decision for us to, to postpone it until late January when people have got less things on and hopefully just give some, at least then um, companies that we can go and visit. Uh, we're looking to do a, a ghetto golf event and a meal. Um, and obviously that means we can then use a, a local bus service and stuff like that. So just give something back into January is kind of our take on it. But obviously it does open up the can of worms with the whole government party and stuff and, and things like that. And it is a very surreal story and confusing and probably frustrating is probably the most um, used word at the minute. Uh, but also for the, for the listeners to the podcast, uh, I can vouch that you can tell James looking at this Zoom camera was definitely out last night. So. <laughs> <laughs> Half the tree. <laughs> right. that's, um, well, that's it for me. Okay. Um, so firstly, do you th three think that we missed anything? Everyone's getting very studious now, aren't you? Uh, I like when everyone says no. <laughs> and a very good job. <laughs> no, I think you you uh, it was everything I expected to see on there. I'm I'm glad you didn't delve into the horrendous story around the car dealer in France. I was thinking, oh my god, I hope you don't. Yeah. <laughs> I, I dodged that one, and also the uh, crystal meth car dealer from the uh, from the states, which yeah. was a good story. But I'm just. I'm, I'm oh, amazed you didn't, didn't mention the Kazoo service and MOT plant system. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I have probably waxed lyrical about Kazoo many times on the podcast, so I thought that one might be dodged for Christmas. <laughs> um, so I'm going to go in alphabetical order then of who you think has won, which means Jim was looking at you first. Oh, man, pressure. Um, well, I'm going to go with you, Rebecca. I, I admire James for picking out two uh, what car stories, but uh, <laughs> I feel he was perhaps crawling a little bit too much. So uh, I'm going to go with your, your straight down the line, uh, honest to God, best stories. Thank you. Next up, Rachel, who do you think won? Oh, well, I admire a Crawley Bumlick, so I'm going to go uh, for James and his amazing endorsement of what car stories. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, you, want, you wanted this. Yeah, this no, is all I need now. Yeah, I feel like Simon Cole. Um, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with uh, the electric car grand story because I think it's a, it's a hot topic. And plus, James, you've come being very unprofessional, hung over to one of these sessions. Um, so my vote goes to Becca, which I believe gives Becca the overall victory yes. for the season. <laughs> thank you. Well I done, can't Becca. I'm not pleased. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for today, but thank you so much to our panel of judges and for you for listening. While this is the final competition between James and I for the year, it's not the final podcast. We'll be back again next Friday on Christmas Eve with a very special festive roundup of the year. If you want to find out more about any of the stories we've mentioned today, you can click on the links in the show notes or head over to cardinalmagazine.co.uk and scroll down to the podcast section. Thanks again and until next time, goodbye.